Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our six-part feature, remembering our dear friend Gilles DeFerrin, lost to a heart attack just at the close of 2023. Starting off here with Scott Dixon, the six-time IndyCar champion, 2008 Indianapolis 500 winner, and also a teammate to Gilles DeFerrin, part of this really powerful American Le Mans series program that Gilles formed that being in partnership with American Honda, Acura, and Honda Performance Development. Dixie, Gilles, co-driver Simon Pagano did some fairly magical things in 2008 in the LMS, in the LMP2 category, and again in 2009, LMS, LMP1. Scott was a part of three of the endurance races, part of the brand new DeFerrin Motorsports team, also competed against Gilles, latter stages of Gilles' full-time IndyCar career, early stages of Scott's full-time career as well. So I wanted to speak with Scott just to remember the teammate, person that he learned so much from, had such a affinity for, and also some of the things that he left behind that are so meaningful to him. Our show, as always, is brought to you by FAF Technologies, next-generation composite engineering and manufacturing capabilities in the outskirts of Toronto, Canada. The Justice Brothers, makers of premium automotive chemicals and lubricants, and TorontoMotorsports.com, purveyors of wonderful motorsports memorabilia. So let's get going with part one of Remembering Gilles DeFerrin with New Zealand's finest, Scott Dixon. Dix, where did Gilles DeFerrin intersect with you and your world as a, a young racer coming up uh, in the, the kart series and such? Because uh, you would have intersected for a couple of years before he retired yeah yeah for sure so like i knew of jules when i first came over late 90s but like i think for really knowing him was when i was in lights right and then won uh my championship he won his first i think did he win oh did he win 2000 2001? 2000 and 2001 yeah so um when i won my indy lights championship he won he won that one which was also the year i think he did the uh so the big qualifying that was two thousand two thousand one, one yeah okay so actually I would have been qualifying on that one as well <laughs> obviously nowhere near as quick as he was yeah. um yeah I think that was probably where you know so I had two years with him or one year when did they go they go o three or two they went o two to IRL right uh yeah o two o three he won the five so only one year and then uh, then retired. For the first yeah, time. so only uh, only one year we raced in kart together, and then probably my biggest race with him was for the Homestead win. My first win in IRL was where uh, I passed him going into the pits, I believe, on the final pit stop uh, to win at Homestead. Um, but yeah, we had you know lots of close races that year. Um, what was it about Jill Dix? Because we think today. Uh, of you, New Garden, Polo, you know, a couple others, not a crazy amount, but a couple others where it's like, if you are going to succeed in IndyCar, these are the monsters you have to defeat. I know that Gilles retired from IndyCar, good Lord, 20 years ago. He was kind of that guy back then, right? He was one of mm. those handful of guys where if you were going wheel to wheel with DeFerrin, and if you beat the guy, like <laughs> that was almost like a second win uh, at the yeah. same time. 
I think with him, though, it was just one is off-track presence, right? Always uh, super engaging. Not like, you know, some people can be quite loud or, you know, like, um, I don't even know how to word it. Like, oh, but I don't know. I guess with, with Gilles, it was always like a, um, he always had like a calmness to him as well. Like he was super easy to talk to, super approachable. You know, that that you don't see too often, I feel like, in racing, you know, especially with the stressful weekends and all that that's going on. Um, you know, even in, in the early years of, you know, when he was, was dominating championships and, and, you know, obviously winning 500s, um, you know, you don't always see that, that side from people. I always thought, and, Dix, he could have been a, I don't know, a monk, but like if you told me in a past life he was a Dalai Lama or something like that, I'd go, yeah, yeah I got to see yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that totally. Um, I don't know. He, he threw out my career, even, you know, when I was looking at doing different things with different teams, it'd always be somebody I'd talk to, you know, because I always knew that he'd seen a lot, you know, he'd seen a lot kind of in many different formulas as well. Um, you know, the, probably the most fun I had with him was obviously doing the, you know, the, the LMP2 and then LMP1 projects uh, with him and, and Pagano as well. Um, but that felt cool, you know. I think for him to reach out to me on that scenario was was uh, somewhat unexpected, um, but a lot of fun to to work with him on a, on a project like that. But I don't know what always fascinated me with Jules was that you know he had kind of the racing thing, but it was always the other projects too that he was working on. You know, he was relentless at kind of pushing boundaries, and you even see that with you know kind of Extreme E and and different you know whether it's with Honda or you know Formula One or with McLaren lately. You know, it's it's. Um, but what was nice about Gilles too is he kind of flew under the radar. He didn't. He didn't feel like he was one of those guys that kind of had to always promote himself, you know. Um, there was a purity to him, Dix, that I, I connected yeah. with immediately. I never knew him when I was a, you know, IndyCar crew member or whatever else. I was just one of the, you know, faceless many. But when I got to know him, uh, when he went into sports car team ownership, that coincided with me moving into the media side and covering yeah. the ALMS uh, was my yeah. first big kind of gig uh i mean admittedly to where uh, you and i got to know each other well for the first time and i just there was this aspect to gilles among all the things you mentioned where there was just a purity if there were no yeah. cameras no tv no journalists no anything no spotlight whatsoever and you say gilles you can just go drive or manage yeah. or engineer and have fun yeah. he would take you up on that offer because he was never about any of that and yet yeah. he was so gracious with everyone dicks and again there was just a purity to gilles that stood out where i always said man i love this guy because he is here for all the right reasons yeah which and again i think is you know setting up teams from scratch and stuff like he did you know is is somewhat you know almost impossible these days or even during then but you know, without him, I don't think he would have been able to do any of that. You know what I mean? Like he was, he just had that presence with everybody where, you know, what he said, you could definitely trust. There weren't kind of, you know, ulterior motives. Um, yeah. So that definitely goes back to your you know, kind of purity portion. But even the fact, I remember when we, when, when our kids we were looking at British schooling and different things like that. So I called Jill just to say, Hey, you know, like, what did you guys do with, 
you know, schooling and, and, you know, he's like, oh, we did boarding and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I wasn't used to that. He said, when, you know, when he dropped the kids off to boarding in England, he said, you know, the only person crying was myself, you know, sitting in a pile <laughs> crying at the boarding school as oh. the kids kind of just walked off, you know, and said, see you later. Um, but that was, you know, I feel like that really summed up Jill, you know, just in that kind of, that moment he had sending his kids off for, for school, you know, so. I remember uh, Petit Le Mans, Dick's 2008, which, if I remember correctly, was <laughs> your debut with uh, the relatively new DeFerrin Motorsports team, right? They yeah. Uh, yeah. they didn't rock up at the uh, season ALMS season opener at Sebring. Their, the team was announced at Sebring. Uh, yeah. Rocked up at uh, in Utah for their first race at Miller Motorsports Park. And uh, I'll talk to Pagano more about this when uh, when we connect. But I was just looking back through some photos that I took from that event, mate. And I, I as a journalist and photographer and whatever else, like if I'm taking photos, it's usually of stuff that I want to be pretty or to tell a story or to have a meaning. And so I was looking through my opening day photos from their debut the first day of their team being on track and i took a photo of the timing screen at the end yeah. of the first practice session and i'm like i didn't i couldn't see it at first it was a little small thumbnail and i kind of zoomed in and looked at it because i was trying to figure out why would i take that photo that makes no sense and i looked mm -hmm. yeah the fair motorsports p1 yeah their first yeah. ever alms session p3 in the race chasing down the well-established Penske Porsche LMP2 program. But to your point about, was there a better guy as both a driver, manager, engineer, builder of teams, chooser of, of employees? He obviously had the great late John Anderson, Ando, there yeah. uh, looking yeah. after things. But Gilles DeFerrin showing up basically mid-season in this raging just golden year of the ALMS Audis versus Porsche versus Acura versus so on fastest yeah. in, in FP one on debut and on the podium in their first race, yeah. you show yeah. up brother and join, uh, to close the year basically, or close the endurance season at petite. Tell me about this team you walked into and this crazy little Frenchman, uh, teammate you had and this old Jedi master and DeFerrin. What was that like? Yeah, like I guess I, I really didn't know Pagano that well, um, uh, much at all. So, you know, that, that um, I don't know, for me, you know, the sports car thing I really enjoyed. Um, <clears throat> I think it might have, was that maybe my, oh no, I'd done Petit 99, but then taken a, a bit of a, a break from it. But yeah, I don't know, like I think for me, the convincing part was unusual, you know, that was the easy part said and done. I think that test didn't go extremely well. I think I destroyed the car and, and <laughs> on the first day. I think you tested like on a, was it the week before? Yeah, we used to test there. Something you, weird, like on the weekend the before, weekend. Saturday, Sunday, yeah, yeah, something like that. And I think I destroyed the car. Um, <laughs> but she was like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's fine. You know, everything was all good. And then um, I can't even remember what happened in the race. The car was super fast, but I think we ended up having some kind of mechanical yeah you guys like finished i think p8 yeah it was a it wasn't yeah. a, a it was a weird one for you that was a year where mcnish crashed on the uh the yeah. warm-up heading yeah. the grid yeah. 
and then yeah. they rallied back yeah. to win the race. So it was a weird one. But uh, yeah. I just remember brother being on pit lane uh, during practice sessions or whatever. Got some photos that I cherish of like you and Pagano and whatever next to each other, just smiling and laughing. Mm. And you obviously 2008 was a huge year for you winning yeah. the Indy 500 yeah. and Indy car title and all that. But I just, I looked at that event and saw you in it as it was happening. And there just seemed to be a level of joy. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. just, these are good people and I'm just, I'm really going to soak in. That was the this. thing as well. It was about the team. You know, you could tell everybody just really had fun being there, even though, you know, those years, as you know, were just brutal. You know, everybody would be going to bed at three in the morning, back at the track by five or six in the morning. And, um, you know, the development was crazy and just the, the hours and stuff. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a fun, you know, obviously with Ando as well, which I'd known for many years, but, definitely a fun environment to, to be a part of. And they were damn good too, as you said, you know, to, to, you know, come out and do what they did. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of great memories. That's for sure. A lot of great memories. So I'll stick with the sports car theme here with you and Jill, because you go from the Acura Airx 01B LMP2 car, one of the greats, right? Amazing motor. Yeah downforce is crazy looked like a million but everything about it was phenomenal yeah and then we go to 2009 (laughs) the Mm -hmm. air xo2a uh when i mentioned that car to stefan johansson mention it to dario franchiti they just have the look of why do you hate me why are you mentioning Mm -hmm. this car and it wasn't that it was a terrible design um it was an ambitious design first along with the Audi, I think R15 to go with the wide front tires, same as the rear, right? Ambitious, etc. Unfortunately, Michelin didn't make bespoke front tires. It was the rear tires placed on the front, which uh, yeah. really yeah. conspired against all kinds of things. So I know the, the car wasn't necessarily everything you'd hope to uh, getting into LMP1, but I know you, uh, Simon, and uh, Gilles worked like hell to try and refine and develop that car as best you could. Tell me about that. Yeah, honestly, I think that car was just, in some ways, like, you know, maybe execution wasn't ideal, but, like, it was ahead of its time, right? I feel like you see a lot of, you know, as you as you say, like a lot of the cars went to, you know, the rear tires on the front later in life. Um, there was a big issue with the front tire you know just because the yaw um kind of degree of the working portion of the tire right was far different and you know you'd get into the slip angle very quickly and saturate the tire so that you know was always a bit of a nightmare i think that the hardest part for a lot of us was probably the power steering issues um but the car was fast as hell and i can't even remember how they bop'd those things back in the day but had we had equal power to the audi you you wouldn't have even seen that car man but they were probably, I don't even know, 10 miles an hour faster on the straights or yeah. something. Um, like the car was super fast. I think it was flat through turn one at Seabrain. Like, <laughs> you know, which is. You guys are on pole. Mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. We did get pole, which I, you know, I don't even know how that happened. I think it was definitely a little unexpected. And maybe the other guys were sandbagging a little bit, but that was pretty cool to, to grab the pole. But, um, 
yeah, the car, it just, it, it felt like it was probably six months too early, you know, like it hadn't had the relentless amount of testing on it and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if you look at back, you know, the, the, the current uh, GTP cars and how much testing you did probably over a full year before you even took it to the track to race, right? So, um, I don't know. It was, it was fun to be a part of those programs because that was kind of the time, and especially in IndyCar racing, where most of that had been dialed out, you know, I think we were a one-make car, we were one-make chassis at that time, you know, the, the aero pieces were really dialed back. So, you know, it was exciting to be a part of a car that had a load of, you know, trick stuff on it, whether it was electronics to aerodynamics to, you know, being in that early stage of it, you know, finding, um, you know, the, the best parts of it and, and how to go, you know, go race with it. But, and I always thought about that mate, especially again, this 2009 car, which was brand new because for what you stepped into with the previous car that had been, you know, fairly well developed. And uh, I know you're only in for the Enduros in 2009, but you know, you could not, uh, could not ask for a better team and driver and Gio and yourself and as well, knowing that this wasn't necessarily a turnkey car. This is something where yeah. we all had to put in a lot of work to make it better what was it like being in that process with Gilles? Because, uh, boy, I wish I could have been on the inside to see and hear all of it. Yeah, I think, honestly, like, <clears throat> you know, being with Simon and, and Gilles were, you know, super technical. You know, I think that that was the fun part, too, right, is, you know, for me being – I'd done endurance racing, but kind of always just, you know, in, in those roles kind of rocking up to, to be the third wheel. But um, – you know, it's it's fun to kind of go out of your ecosystem too, kind of like when I did the Wayne Taylor thing. You know, it's 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 different to maybe the Ganassi process that I've been part of for, for so long. So it was interesting to see just, you know, even how Honda and HPD worked, uh, you know, on other projects, but but also just uh, the process that, you know, maybe Gilles had. Um, but yeah, like he was he was fairly laid back. But I think, you know, the, the thing with, with Gilles was that if he – you know, he was also um, quite strong-minded and strong-willed on on things that definitely, you know, he felt passionate about, you know, but he did it in a nice way as well. So, you know, I think um, he was always a pleasure to work with, you know, in that kind of environment and very easy to, you know, kind of talk through processes and understand and, <clears throat> you know, see what maybe the best compromise is, but also making sure that, you know, he could, you know, push worth or honda at the same time um you know to, to new extremes to to make sure that you know they got the most out of it so yeah i don't know i think for me it was always yeah, it was just a fun environment there was never again it's different when you're the third person because you're not super super vocal because you can't always be um you've got to be more of a compromising kind of role but um yeah but you're also scott from he, dixon man i mean they, yeah, they, but, they you were in the car for a reason so i know they valued whatever you brought to them no it's um yeah i don't know it was just it yeah it's yeah it's funny with you it's just it was always super easy to work with you know i was having some reflections last night about how I don't believe, Dix, I was ever a 100% correct in any conversation about any topic with Jill. And that's mm. not said in a critical way about Jill. 
Like we could be talking about something and I might be between the two of us, the super expert on the topic. And I'd say whatever it was on the thing. And I would never get full agreement because there was yeah. always an angle yeah. he would see or think of to add that not only made it clear to me that, Hey idiot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you thought yeah. you knew everything about this thing. Nope. Yeah. You got to run it through yeah. the deferring filter. Cause he's going to see an angle, have a question to raise that maybe you never considered. Like, I just love that about Jill where sometimes you walk away from conversations like, yep, boy, I really know a lot. I never walked away uh, when we were having any kind of serious conversation feeling like, yeah, okay, dummy, you need to go think some more because this guy is really freaking awesome. So I just yeah. love that about him. Definitely a smart guy. That's a really smart guy. But I don't know, he just always flew under the radar too, which was kind of interesting to me. But like if you if you called him and asked him like, you know, something that you need an answer on, he was more than happy to, you know, give us two cents on it and be, you know, extremely, you know, thoughtful about the process. But yeah, yeah I don't think I, I don't think I've really come across anybody like him, to be honest. In our in our sport. I'm with you. Like legitimately he the calmness is yeah. something that always stood out. Like there was you know but also super emotional that was kind of the weird thing with him like it, it, it's um super sensitive but you never i don't know i don't know yeah um, and what's what i loved about that is he was calm like uh, amazingly calm in an environment where we don't see many folks like that yet yeah. his he had a big heart and so yeah. sometimes when you see a lot of calm in folks it might be it might be just a lack of empathy a lack of feeling yeah, exactly. lack of something like yeah. yeah yeah he was this duality thing where super calm super rooted and grounded and yet felt everything and things yeah. affected yeah. him deeply and it was as you know it was not uncommon to talk about something he was passionate about or if it you know plucked his heartstrings not uncommon to see I mean, he wouldn't necessarily cry but you'd see his eyes mist up a little bit and it was like yeah. wow yeah. he yeah. is this calm and grounded guy but there is so much that he's receiving and feeling everything and he's not afraid in this sport where we're all tough and whatever and you go no that's wow, true yeah. wow yeah. uh love that Hey, one of the realest people, one of the realest yeah. people I can think of, like him, Brian Hurt is another one where you go, you know, this guy is just yeah. calm waters, but also really authentic and, and feels deeply and cares deeply. And yeah, I mean, I'm not saying yeah. there aren't a lot of those people in the world. I'm just saying that in our no, but place in, of in, racing. Yeah, in our sport, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Let me yeah, um, agree. Let me ask the last couple of things just to, to farewell Dix. What what made Jill DeFerrin great as a driver? You got to see it uh, as an opponent and as a teammate. What made him great? Well, I think it was his process, you know. Like I think that's, you know, his uh, obviously his feedback, his attention to detail. I think in some ways too similar to kind of like a Daria, you know, is his – 
I wouldn't I wouldn't have said that he was super aggressive, you know. And you know, probably Simon can probably talk to it a little bit more of of that. But you know, he he had a very good flow to him. You know, um, I can be a bit like rough, whereas he he definitely you know was was more of like a the difference like Dario and I had, where it was more of a um, not sensitive approach, but more of a um, polished approach i guess you could say but i think with him it was it was it was again it was kind of like a dan and a dario it's just their process of you know the attention to detail was crazy that's why i think he was so good at you know doing the you know the team thing and working with the people that he did um so you know it's it's but then in racing like he was super tough but also super fair he'd be the guy leaving you you know kind of the last inch but you you definitely had enough room you know so I really loved racing with him, especially on the oval stuff too, and especially during those periods of of oval racing and and IndyCar was rough at the best of times. Um, But when you were with Jill and and a few others through that period, you you know, you knew you could race them hard uh, and close and extremely close, but that you knew they would never take a, you know, kind of a a stupid risk or just be like, ah, fuck it, I'm going to take you out kind of scenario, which, you know, you, you had in those days. So, yeah, kind of that all-round package, man. Super fast in kind of any circuit, you know, whether it was street course, road course, short tracks, super speedways. I don't know. I think I always wished, even when he did retire, you know, out of the IndyCar stuff that he that he stuck around. But he was probably, again, typical Gilles, a lot smarter than most of us yeah. <laughs> at that period of time and making the right decision, you know. <laughs> I've been telling myself for 20 or 30 years, dicks, you know, if I was smart, I'd go get a job yeah. doing something else, but uh, I'm yeah. not smart and yeah. I love this too much. So what uh, what did he leave you with, brother? You know, this is always the thing that I think about most when we lose folks that we respected or loved or whatever it was. What uh, What did they leave behind where you go either as an individual you've learned or improved or seen the world in different ways or left us collectively in a better place. What comes to mind? What does she, what does she give us? Yeah, probably for me, a lot was just the family man that he was, you know, how much um, time and effort he put into his family. Uh, You know, I think his warmth as well. Um, You know, his process of a as a driver, you know, and and as a, as a team owner and, and, you know, that kind of scenario too, I think always opens your mind into, you know, possibilities that, that, you know, you could, you could try to do something like Jill did, but I don't know. I think it was always for me, you know, the family stuff and then the openness, like I was trying to meet up with him actually in January. I spoke to him on his birthday and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think the the problem I always feel with, with people that obviously go too soon is that you never, you never spend enough time with them, but, that's obviously not um, something you want to dwell on. But, yeah, I don't know. I think just who he was as a person and to show that people like him can also be part of our sport, you know, and, and off the track ways, you know. I think about him, brother, his last drive came out of retirement to do the Gold Coast 600 in 2011 <laughs> with uh, yeah. Jonathan, John O'Webb, and uh, that, at least among V8 teams. I don't want to say crappy, undistinguished techno autosports team. And yeah. uh, Gilles, who's like, man, I'm rusty and I'm fat. And again, he wasn't fat, but he was like, man, I don't know why I agreed to do this. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. But he climbed in, mate. And I, again, fortunate to be there. 
He loved every minute of it. He was chucking those cars were tough, man. Super tough to drive. Chucking them around, bouncing over the cart, right? Just going after it, having fun. He did one thing that just stood out to me as such a Gilles thing. We just lost Danny Boy, right? Like days before Las Vegas. And uh, there was a, a tribute sticker that had been made right after. And so, I mean, legitimately, we all were in Las Vegas, flew home Sunday night, um, and I think flew out for um, uh, Australia like Tuesday morning. So most of us had almost no time uh, between yeah. to process. Uh, Gilles shows up uh, and asks, hey, where are those stickers? And yeah. and. I'm not saying he's the only one I could have missed, but Gilles, who's a guest for the weekend, uh, went straight to the front of their Ford Falcon and put that uh, Dan Weldon tribute sticker dead center on the front bumper because, you know, not hidden in some arcane, but like right front and center. And I'm like, that's that's my guy. That's that's Gilles, right? That. not saying he's the only one who would do it, but there was yeah. no doubt he would. And I'm just saying, had nothing to do with him winning Indy 500. And this, as a person, you go, that's why yeah. we loved him. That kind of thing. Agree, man. Agree. Hell of a guy. Hell of a guy. Well, thanks as always, mate. Appreciate no. you. And stuff is never easy. But um, yeah, thankful to have known him. Absolutely, man. Couldn't have uh, said it better. Thanks once again to Dixie for spending some time with us to bring the finer aspects of Gilles to us. Learn about this man. Got more to come. Thank you definitely for listening. Thanks once again to Scott for taking some time during a very tough time. Get a chance to pay a visit to marshallpruittpodcast.com. More than 1,400 episodes they are cataloged for your listening enjoyment getting ready to post more of these remembrances here thank you once again for listening